Okay, so I'm Nick Bircher and this is the Nordic Future Makers podcast. This week's Nordic Future Maker is Ben Liebman, who is Chief Operating Officer at NOMA in Copenhagen. For many years, NOMA has been considered to be one of the best, if not the best, restaurant in the world. So, Ben, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to be here. There's something about a Nordic podcast where you've got an English host and an Australian guest, but, you know, we'll, we'll leave that aside. I guess we had, if we had a New Zealander, we could make a joke about it, but uh, we'll, uh, <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll put that aside for your listeners. Yeah, so, so I think um, yeah, we'll, we'll go into all of that, but can you tell us a little bit more about, about what you do and what your role is? Yeah, well, I mean, as you said, my business card says Chief Operating Officer of Restaurant Noma a restaurant founded on Copenhagen Harbour 15 years ago now. But as my parents have often asked over the years, what the hell does that really mean, both both in this role and the previous one? I mean, I think like like the title suggests, I'm, I'm involved in some of that much more high-level strategic operational focus of, of not only Restaurant Noma, but some of the other businesses that we're involved in. But I think reflecting my background, my core focus has been really about how do you build value? How do you build the business outside of the four walls of the restaurant? I certainly take no credit for the extraordinary feats that the team create five days a week. As I've often said, I am a suit amongst creative men and women. So I know my place. I know my place in the world. We're going to dig into lots of different things over the next 20 or so minutes. But I think um, right, you mentioned you're an Australian in Denmark. So let's go there first, because I think it's quite an interesting interesting path you've had. My, my focus has always been, I guess, that intersection of creativity and, and commercial. And have been fortunate enough to practice that in industries uh, that that I have always been passionate about on a personal level. So my my first job out of out of university was at a record label. It was my dream job. It was my dream label, which was Warner Music, part of part of the Warner Music Group. And I wanted to work there because not only was music my my true passion, but they had the artists that I loved the most. They had what I thought to be the, the most extraordinary roster of, of musicians, both in Australia and around the world. And I joined, I joined in 1998, which was still the heyday of compact discs. This was pre-digital. And in fact, after about 12 to 18 months in sales and strategic marketing, I moved into what was then called new media. So I'm definitely dating myself. And that was the precursor to digital. At the time, it was a marketing channel. It was how do you build community? How do you promote? How do you market? What were still then physical products, a piece of plastic containing you know, 72 minutes of music. I was there for six or seven years and was also there for the birth of Napster. And in, then in time, the birth of what was the Apple iTunes store. And I left 
to go to Vodafone. And I did that for three years. And I did that to launch what would be their 3G media offering in Australia. And it was a time when tech companies were looking to the media and entertainment industry to, to bring execs in and vice versa. Media and entertainment were looking to the tech sector or to, to bring in execs across. And it was this kind of shifting tides between the two industries. And I look, I, I, I enjoyed it, but it was, it was one step removed from really where my heart was, which was those, those, that creative front line. And so I left Vodafone and went to television and was there across two companies and, and really across two, two continents. I worked for Fremantle Media, part of Bertelsmann. And then I worked for Shine, which was Elizabeth Murdoch's company, which then in time became part of, became part of news. And my role there was kind of rights, rights management to take what was underlying intellectual property in a television show or television shows and try and turn them into businesses, standalone businesses that sat alongside, you know, the original television show. And that would be, you know, how, how do you take a brand? And in the case of Fremantle, its biggest global brand was the Idol franchise. So Pop Idol in the UK, American Idol in, in the US. For Shine, its biggest global franchise was MasterChef. Of course, both of them made dramas and factual series. But, you know, these two big franchises at the time were, were, were properties that I, that I had, an, had an opportunity to work on. So how do you take those television shows and turn them into brands that people love and care about 365 days a year, whether that be sponsorship and brand partnerships, consumer products, publishing, digital media, live events? It was brand building. And again, it was this opportunity to combine a creative focus and very much where my heart was which was in this kind of media and entertainment creative space with the commercial endeavor and balancing those two things. Okay. And I guess there's part of that is, is taking something from being a one dimensional thing into becoming an experience that goes across lots of different areas. It is, but also finding that you're absolutely right. That is what it is, but it's also a bit of a high wire act in terms of, how do you leverage the halo effect of what is that core manifestation of the of the intellectual property? So in, in the case of these things, how do you take um, what is at the heart of a television show um, and the halo effect that, that that brings and, in a crude sense, stretch it across other categories to build brands and do it in such a way that, as we all know, whether it be a television show, an apparel brand, a media brand, brands are elastic and, you know, ensuring or getting that balancing act right of how far do you stretch it such that everything that you're doing is additive, not only from a financial perspective, but also in terms of the, the brand building itself. You know, if, if, if one is successful at doing that, that halo effect becomes a two-way, a two-way street as opposed to just drawing from the, you know, the original source of the IP, it's also giving back to it. Okay. And I think um, this was the period where you then kind of moved from Australia and you moved to, to London for, for this. I did. I did. I was fortunate enough when Liz started China Australia with the Fennessy Brothers 
to have been tapped on the shoulder to leave Fremantle to be part of that. And a year later was tapped to move to London to start this rights division on a global basis. So left what was a very much singular Australia and New Zealand focus into a global one and built, you know, as I say, this brand brand and rights management business around the world and working across all of Shine's properties across all of the across all of the various across all the various genres and w- and was in london for just over three years and your route to ending up where you are now so was master chef the connection that you had with food or, or was it some how did you make that jump from london to copenhagen to to noma strange bait social media um okay. a, a stolen book from the from the noma <laughs> library um Look, I had always had a passion for food. Growing up in Australia, we're not we're not short for some of the most extraordinary flavors and some of the most extraordinary restaurants in the world, and and have always enjoyed consuming um, rather than being on the creative front. I think that's probably a theme a theme with me as well. You know, in terms of as I said, we'll never take we'll never take credit for being the creative one. It's always being on the other side of the table, but. Always had an interest in it, but from a professional standpoint, yes, MasterChef was was that first opportunity to create or to combine that personal interest and passion with a commercial endeavour. And within three to four years, it's the biggest television format in the world. It's produced in 55 countries. It's seen in over 110. And we had built this business that wrapped around it, live events, pop-up restaurants, publishing both books and magazines, consumer products, food and travel even. Um, you know, as I say, we, we had turned it into a, a true brand and a business. But uh, the head chef, the founder of Restaurant Noma, Rene Redzepi. Rene and I met originally, as I say, I mean, there's, there's a longer story that will outlast this podcast, but it it, it really was. It was social media. He posted something on Twitter about a book that had been stolen. I found a first edition of the book, sent it to him as a laugh. And he said, you know, if you're ever in Copenhagen, come and say hello. And this is back, I think, in 2013. And my wife and I and our daughter came to Copenhagen for the first time uh, for a holiday. And I messaged him and said, look, I'm in town. And he said, come and have a chat. And we did. And we talked about the converging worlds of media and hospitality talked about some of the shows that, that that I had worked on. He talked about some of his interests about growing beyond the four walls of the restaurant. And we just agreed that we'd stay in touch. And then in 2015, we were moving back to Sydney. Noma was in Tokyo doing what would be the first of, of their international pop-ups or, or, or their residencies. And I dropped by, as one does, and we were sitting at the bar after one service one evening. And he, you know, he said, so hang on, you're going back to Australia and what are you going to do there? And I said, look, I don't know yet. You know, we'll work that out. And he said, maybe we should do a pop-up in Australia. Maybe that's where we should go next. And that was it. That was it. I think I arrived, the family arrived back in January 15 
And I think within three or four days, I was flying to the other side of the country on the first of what would be a kind of scouting trip, trying to find the place that that we would build what would become the Noma Australia pop-up in 2016. Um, Wow. And... I think it was August, maybe September 2015, and we were standing at the front of a building site and he said, look, I think when this is all said and done, you and the family should move to Copenhagen. So we, um, for the second time in my career, I rang my <laughs> very patient wife and said, we've got this opportunity. And, and this time it, it, it coincided with a shipping container that had just arrived from London pretty much being unpacked in our home. I said, I think we need to repack. and." My wife and daughter being the supports that they are said, let's do it. You know, let's go on another adventure. And that's nearly four years ago now. The whole, the kind of ethos, the original ethos of Noma was this idea of new Nordic cuisine and the hyper-local ingredients and the micro-seasonality and and things like that. Yeah. So when, when it was started, it was built around this principle of time and place that a reflection of one's location and this idea of terroir and using or cooking with the best of what nature gave you within your local environment and putting that as in in some way not only a celebration of those things but also using that as a constraint this idea of when you put constraints around creativity it forces them to break through so by only using things that could be sourced in this kind of, as you say, hyper-local, hyper-seasonal sense, it forced the team to think differently. And that took them down the path of exploring fermentation, originally as a, as a way to preserve, but then it became as a way to unlock flavour. And it was also that constraint that sent them into the wild landscape to forage and unlock flavours in the wild landscape that perhaps weren't reflected in kind of traditional agriculture here in Denmark. What's it like for you? Because you're, you're, as you say, running the business, but you've got all of these creative and kind of innovative kitchen geniuses around you and, and things like that. How do you kind of manage those sort of personalities and those sort of people? Well, I mean, I think the first thing is it's the, the restaurant and hospitality industry as it relates to personalities is is you know it's no different to any other creative industry I, I i'd like to think it's one of the reasons first of all it's one of the reasons that drew me to it is it is ultimately about people that those personalities across whether it be film and film and television or music or hospitality are very similar they all have you know an unparalleled and and second to none focus around creativity that is what drives them it's my role to push buttons but it is certainly my role to help them realize whatever it is that each of them is is looking to realize but i think what what runs through all of the industries that i consider myself fortunate enough to have to have worked in is one is as i say that 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 extraordinary focus on creativity, ultimately risk-taking. I mean, it is a risk-take. These are risk-taking industries. Every time a creative puts themselves out there, releases an album, 
launches a new television show, opens a restaurant. They are putting themselves out there in a way that many other brands and industries don't have to because they are not as, I mean, we're all obviously public facing, but they are not perhaps as much on the front line as other industries. And I consider myself, I consider my role as being there to help, as I say, help support that and to then help them realize what it is that they are, what it is that they are looking to do. Okay. So you're building a platform for them to be able to feel safe enough to take risks and then they can perform and be successful on, on top of it. Cause I, I hope I'm, I, I look, I, I hope, I hope that we're building that platform together. They, there is there is obviously a balance between creativity and, and commercial and for me that where that rub takes place is where you know and and there should be creative and commercial friction there absolutely should be I, I remember I remember my first day at Fremantle media I, I went and met one of the executive producers of one of the shows that we were working on and and he, in his heart, believed that what he was working on was art. And I believed it was commerce. And the reality is we were both right. And that creative and commercial friction is is where the really special things happen. And I guess pop-ups help with the, the reputation and spreading the message globally. They're also giving people the opportunity to really experiment in different ways, depending on where they are, depending where they are at that time and place. I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, they are fundamentally research projects. And, you know, Renee has often referred to them as team building exercises. If they were fundamentally about building the brand or the business, we would probably do them in a very different way and, and possibly even go to very different locations. They have always been driven around knowledge and research and understanding. And so, you know, traveling to disparate places like Japan and Australia and Mexico, it has very much been around learning from those places and those people. And not only then reflecting that within the experience of those individual pop-ups, but, but bringing back some of that thinking and some of that creativity, which would then influence that next evolution of Noma in Copenhagen. You know, Rene is very single-minded around his purpose and his vision for Noma. And, you know, going right back to the, what was the very original North Star for Noma, which was this idea of time and place. And I'm being somewhat flippant, but I'm being obviously, but I'm being very serious at the same time, which is it's time and place. It's not places, it's not plural. Noma was never dreamt about as being a scalable restaurant in the traditional sense that many other chefs, and again, that's not to pass judgment, it's just to, to make the comparison, is that their dream or Renee's dream was never to have Noma as this expanded restaurant in the traditional sense. It was this idea of creating an ecosystem or a family of what became restaurants founded by former chefs and friends that had spent time within Noma and using the platform that we had to help them realize their own personal purpose and dream. And that began around 2016 
with the birth of a restaurant called 108, which is about 50 yards from the old Noma and where I'm sitting today, which was a partnership with a former chef called Christian Bauman. And soon after, maybe about 12 months later, we, we, we did that again. And since then, we've had the, the genuine pleasure to work alongside people like Christian and Rocio Sanchez and Torsten Schmidt and Richard Hart and Thomas Friebel. And we are their partners, but we are ultimately there to help realize what it is that they want. And in doing so, as I say, we've created this this little ecosystem. And, and, you know, in terms of your area and your focus around brand building, kind of to talk that language for the moment, each of those restaurants, each of those businesses within this broader ecosystem has their own identity and their own purpose. What might be right for one of them may not be for the other and vice versa. And so we treat them as partnerships and collaborations and each of those things as as having their own, as I say, their own identity and their own purpose and, and building upon them to reflect that. I mean, we will we'll joke sometimes what we've created is a is a group with a lowercase g. We we don't we do, we try from a philosophy and a an operating perspective to to be small and nimble and to be able to move to move with the market, which is obviously, especially in this climate, increasingly important. That kind of leads us into where we are now in the world. So obviously, tough times for lots of people, tough times, particularly for many people in your sector. So where do you go from here? What's your feeling on on how you approach things and, and the way you do things? We are definitely fortunate for where we are. Our outlook for the future is of course influenced by the Danish experience both with respect to the outbreak and the government's response to contain it. It's influenced by the government's response in providing a safety net both for industry but the community at large and that is something we don't take for granted. We have a fighting chance as a, as a result of that in, in a way that perhaps others in other countries around the world, our peers and our friends don't currently have. We, as I say, fight, fighting chance is the best way to articulate it because there are still enormous unknowns when we can reopen, what conditions we'll be, we will be allowed to reopen under, whether customers, whether guests want to come back in the short to medium term and what this period of uncertainty has has created for them. But as a consequence of that, what we have been afforded is a chance to pause and to reflect and possibly to recalibrate in deciding who we want to be, both at an individual level and as a business, and to really think about what are the things that we want to do, what do we want to stand for, on the other side. And as I say, the ability to do that at a time when so many in in so many other places around the world are facing extremely difficult times is something that we are grateful for. And as I say, something we don't take for granted. I cannot tell you what the future will look like. I don't think anybody can. But I can tell you that 
we are going to come out of the gates again. We are going to do our best to bring a sense of community together. Hopefully, an experience that is hopeful and joyous and one around healing and, as I say, this this idea of community. And we will see where the future takes all of us. But it is certainly, these are, these are certainly strange days. And our industry was very much like many service industries were the canaries in the coal mine. We were hit first. But hopefully we will also have a chance to adapt and come out of it first as well. Okay. And I think that's a really inspiring message and inspiring thing to hear you say because obviously you've got such a strong international reputation and you've been players on the international scene for so long but hearing you talking about community and being there for the local people and being there for Denmark to start with and then building from there with with hope and things like that I think is is a nice message for for the world thank you thank you very much so thank you Ben good luck with everything for the future and to you as well mate to you and yours and for everyone else i think ben is another great example of a nordic future maker so someone who's really driving things forward in this part of the world and someone who's helping people to take risks and experiment and really kind of push the boundaries of what's possible i hope you have enjoyed the podcast i hope you will subscribe to the podcast and i hope you will listen again in the future.